You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Setting the stage for a pivotal Game 5 here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, though, you can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where you can give me your predictions for Game 5. That is what we are here to set the table for as I said, Gina Mizell of Suns.com is our guest today. She was in the building in Staples Center for games three and four. She was obviously in the building for games one and two, so I wanted to get a dispatch from her about what it was like in that building, uh, how many Suns fans there were, what it was like when LeBron tried to go into takeover mode and then did not actually take over. So you will enjoy this conversation, I'm sure. And then to close the show, we get a lot of stuff on what to expect in Game 5. It's going to be a raucous crowd. It's going to be a big game. Probably no Anthony Davis. Probably yes, Chris Paul. So a lot to get to. I just wanted to remind you guys, today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join us every single Friday at noon to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right, guys. Hope you're excited for the game. Hope this conversation helps. Without further ado, here is Gina Mizell of Suns.com. Joined now by Gina Mizell of Suns.com, who is in the building for games three and four in Los Angeles, one of the only folks who can say they were at every game. So I wanted to bring Gina on to, uh, you know, get get the table set for game five, but also go back and, and talk about three and four a little bit and and how the Suns were able to turn the table in this series in game four. So Gina, my first question for you is when did you, you know, get down there and, and try to see what, what you could find out as far as the injury stuff. That's obviously the biggest lingering storyline, both for Chris Paul and Anthony Davis. It was a big storyline heading into the game. AD was questionable. Chris Paul was questionable. So what, uh, what kind of insight can you give us there? And just as the game was going along, did it, did it feel like those guys were kind of trending in opposite directions? Because obviously at the end of the game, you look up and it's like, huh, uh, AD definitely did not did not get healthy here. And, and Chris seems to have at least bounced back a little bit. Right. Well, in regards to Chris Paul, like I'll share a couple of things. Uh, one that I think I one I definitely posted on Twitter and then one I, I did not. But um, yeah, I was at the game about an uh, hour or so before. And, you know, you're watching pregame warmups and you're watching guys come out. And and so, of course, you're, you're watching the Suns and you're watching Chris Paul, most notably. And they were on the far side, of their, the far basket from where we were sitting kind of behind the other basket. Yeah, media's under the hoop in LA. Yeah, right, different right. Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so I was paying attention and, and um, there was a moment where he hit three free throws in a row and just like it looked like Chris Paul shooting free throws which as we know even that did not look right in games two and three and even in you know game one going back to after he was hurt and so I kind of took a mental note of that and then there was a moment where after that he went and sat on the end of the bench and he was just like kind of holding the basketball and you could tell was kind of just I don't know if he's a meditation guy I don't know if he's just you know breathing and calming his mind or whatever but it kind of just felt like he was definitely mentally preparing himself for the game. But 
in watching and shoot those free throws, I'm like, okay, this is, this looks, he looks pretty good. He looks decent. And I, I, but still you're a little bit cautiously optimistic just because of, you know, it seemed like in game three that he started off looking decent and then maybe regressed throughout the game or, you know, then he gets kicked in the private parts or need in the private parts. And then kind of all just, it it kind of falls apart. So that was the first thing. And then early on in the first quarter, and this is what I did mention on Twitter is that when he took that three early on in the game and he didn't make it, but just the fact that he even was willing to take that shot was like, okay, that I'm like, part of me is like, okay, is he just showing this because he's trying to make the defense play him a little bit. Uh, but still, if he like physically couldn't make his arm or his shoulder work, then that you know would have been incredibly painful and could have risked further injury or further pain or soreness or however you want to describe it. And, and and that was a shot, you know, all throughout games two and three. I remember one moment in game three specifically where he was wide open on the wing and just like swung the ball. And I was like, that's a shot he would take 99 times out of 99 times or 99 times out of 100 uh-huh. times. He was fully healthy. And so it just felt different watching him do that. And then certainly those did, uh, it turns out, did kind of foreshadow the performance that that he had as far as looking back to, I don't want to say completely his old self, because I don't think he's 100%, but the best he's looked since he got hurt. So that's when that sort of started trending. And, and then, yeah, when Anthony Davis didn't come out out of the half, um, initially, I didn't notice it. It was actually some of my, you know, our media compadres that cover the Lakers that noticed it first, and they were all you know, posting the news. And then oddly enough, I was sitting next to um, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN. And so then it, it was funny because she came to the game and she was like, you know, I, oh, I'm, I'm here in case anything happens, basically. And that's <laughs> the kiss of death as a reporter is when you say, oh, I don't have much to do today, or this is going to be a light day. You're setting yourself up for breaking news to happen. And so kind of watching her then lock into okay, what's the latest on Anthony Davis? And she's trying to do her own reporting while the game's going on and trying to find out what's happening. And then of course we, we find out it's um, the groin injury and, and sort of his, his status is now in question. So no, it was an interesting day where on, on one side of the coin, you saw the return of Chris Paul's health and on the other side. And, and the thing that kind of, I feel like permeated through the arena, just because it was very much a pro, obviously a pro Lakers crowd, um, it, it was like now the uncertainty of, of Anthony Davis's status. And it did really kind of feel like, you know, a lot of the outsiders, I think thought this Suns team was dead in the water after losing game three, just because of losing game three, but also the way Chris Paul looked. And now suddenly it looks flipped on its head where Anthony Davis is questionable. And now it's a best of three and the Suns have home court advantage again. And it just shows you how a series can turn so quickly. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my vantage point from, from being inside the arena yesterday. Yeah. Playoffs are very, very crazy. I think that most Suns fans went into that game feeling like it might be sort of a, a last gasp and and it could have been right. If they lose that game, like you're not coming back down three, one to a LeBron James team. You're not going back, you know, from a team that, that would have, you know, if they had lost pretty thoroughly dominated you at home, like it's just unlikely, but um, with with the win and the health flip that happened. And of course, you don't necessarily root for another team's player, but it, it just felt like the Lakers had really gotten a lot of the luck when it comes to those things. You know, LeBron and Chris Paul in the first game both have shoulder injuries and Chris's ends up being considerably worse. So it's just yeah. <laughs> like, like these things happen in playoff series and uh, we're kind of, I mean, obviously we, we are back to even. I, my thing coming out of the game was, 
you could probably make the case that neither guy should have played. And the Suns really just got lucky in a way that, that Chris, you know, had a feel for his body and knew he wasn't, um, he, he had improved. And, and I guess we just sort of see if that continues. And if, if game six looks the same as, or if game five looks the same as game four, then, then that's, you know, uh, I guess kind of proving him right uh, about his own body. And then Davis, yeah, unfortunately, just I don't even know if the knee that he went into the game ended up causing the the groin thing at all. I mean, it's it's really hard to know. And he is now day to day with a groin strain, unlikely to play in game five, according to both Sham Sharania and Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. So uh, it seems like we'll have one more game at least with no AD. But you said something there uh, a little unrelated to the injury stuff, Gina, but you said it mostly a Lakers crowd. How many Suns fans are in there? I was watching the game with a friend and he's like, there are, there is no way a single Suns fan made it into that building, but I'm curious what it actually looked like. No, there was actually a decent amount. And I would say for both games and perhaps even a little bit more on Sunday, just because I, I bet, uh, you know, a fair amount of people, if you were able to snag some tickets, like why not go drive or fly over to LA for the weekend? It's a long weekend. Go like, I mean, I, I spent True. a couple hours in Santa Monica on Saturday after practice. Like, why not make it a, a like a weekend trip? So, um, yeah, there, there were, you know, not maybe it, it's just the, the crowd was smaller in general compared to what we've been seeing in Phoenix for games one and two. But, yeah, there was kind of a, a contingent behind the bench. There was a contingent um, kind of right below me. There was about three or four fans and you could sort of see them peppered throughout the arena. And uh, my colleague, Cody Cunningham actually did a really neat story where he tracked down some fans who were making the trip and, uh, or, or were, you know, there are some Suns fans obviously that live in LA for whatever reason, either they're from Phoenix and had moved out there or somehow grew up in LA as a Suns fan. But um, yeah, there, there's definitely some, some Suns fans there in the same way that some Lakers fans have gotten into Phoenix Suns Arena for for these first two games, and I'm sure there will be a, a loud or, or boisterous contingent there tomorrow as well. So we'll we'll see about that. But yeah, I think that kind of creates it, it makes it fun, right? When there's people walking around outside the arena before the game, and there's some trash talk, or or you see them you know sitting next to Lakers fans or near Lakers fans, and there's kind of some drawn back and forth, and and that that creates a, a fun atmosphere. And I think you know we've obviously seen some not so great fan interactions with players during these playoffs as more people have been let into these buildings, but uh, seen nothing of that nature from my vantage point from either side so far, it's been just kind of mostly the, the, you know, the fun, the fun trash talk between sure. uh, fans and Lakers fans. Yeah, I know. I, I, when, when I made the noise I made about game five, I thought you were just referring generally to how incredible that environment is, is bound to be because yeah. Yeah. What, more, more fans about 16,000 is the, is the word. And um, which is based uh, effectively the entire building. And uh, I mean, the stakes could not be higher. So I'm, I'm really excited. We'll, we'll continue to set the stage for that game for you folks, as we make our way through the podcast. The thing that I want to um, zero in on next though, is, is LeBron James, because what I think really like at a sort of, uh, I guess, almost animal level that I responded to in this game was we got like the capital L look from LeBron and the Suns weathered it. And yeah. it's so rare that any NBA team can do that unless they have Clay Thompson and uh, Steph Curry and uh, Kevin Durant on, on the same team. Like we just have not seen it. So uh, I want to dig into that with you in just a second and, and what it felt like, how the momentum, because that's really something I think you can only get a sense of really being there. And so 
Let's dive into that in just a second, but let's first take a quick break. Another word from Locker Room. This episode brought to you by Locker Room, which is the first social audio platform made just for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, fans, athletes, insiders in real time about your favorite squad or sport. We host shows every single Friday at noon with Brandon, which means you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every single day. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join a conversation about the NBA or the Suns. You'll find fans just like yourself for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news. You will have a chance to chat with us and might even have your question answered on Locked on Suns through our locker room conversation. So be sure to join us this week on Friday at noon after game six. We either will be previewing game seven or we will be responding to a Suns or potentially a Lakers series victory. So be sure to check in then. It'll be a big one to say the least. So go download the locker room app currently available on all iOS devices, as well as a beta for Android, so everyone can get in on it now. Link your Twitter account, join the NBA group, and follow me at BrendanClean14. That's all you need to do. You'll get notified when a room goes live. You will have access to the NBA room or to the NBA uh, group, and then you can just jump right into our room, start asking questions, start talking sons. I can't wait to see you all there. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also brought to you by Rock Auto. Rock Auto saves you a ton of money, gets you the parts you need in a hurry, and is easy to navigate. So it is not like walking into a dealership or even a chain store where you're worried about what price they might throw at you, you're worried about getting nickel and dime, trying to be taken advantage of. Quite frankly, Rock Auto does not cause any of those issues. They are a family business. They've served auto parts customers online for 20 years. And they have a ton of stuff, guys, from a brake part or a tail lamp to something more simple like a new carpet. Rock Auto has it all. So whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is easy to navigate. You can just type in your spec, your car, and then scroll. Really, that's it. You're right there. You just scroll through down to what you need, click buy, no account needed, and it shows up. Days later, it is that easy, it is that affordable, and it is that smooth. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And then when you make your purchase, write locked on. That's locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So with LeBron James, who was really making a mockery, to be quite frank, of, of Jay Crowder in game three. Pretty pretty uh, pretty disrespectful, and like, Jay, Jay can handle it. I mean, I wasn't worried about Jay Crowder's, um, you know, uh, mood or anything there. He, he's fine, and we saw that play out in game four with the stink guy that he gave right back. But give me a sense of, of what it felt like in that building when LeBron sort of started to take it into gear in that second half, and then what it felt like when, oh, actually, no, uh, Jay Crowder, Chris Paul, the, the rest of these guys are going to kind of not back down, and, and obviously they went on to win the game. Yeah, well, the loudest that arena has been, I, in my opinion, the whole time uh, d- during those first two games in L.A. was uh, when LeBron kind of made Jay Crowder look silly. So, and, and the bench, you saw the Lakers bench going crazy and practically coming out onto the court. That was the most energized that the crowd has gotten. Can I just say real quick about that? It sure uh, setting aside the, the dynamic between Crowder and LeBron, which goes back effectively Crowder's entire career. So like, that's not a surprise to see it. Right. But right. The guys on the bench, like no disrespect to them, but like, 
you're not the one doing it. Like <laughs> they very much were like living vicariously through it. And it's like uh, Alfonso McKinney. And like, I don't have any disrespect for those guys. They've made it in basketball far further than I ever could, but it's just kind of funny when it's like, wait, no, you can't do that. Do you read like, you don't, right. you actually would not be able to do what he's doing. And it's just funny to see the bench kind of uh, explode that way. But, but back to what you're saying, I can imagine the crowd loved it as well. Right. Well, and the other thing I'll say too, is I don't know if this comes through or had had come through the TV screen, but the crowd was literally chanting FJ Crowder without, without censoring it, like the actual yeah, yeah. expletive. Um, and so I don't know if that could come through, but like that was happening all the time. And even before things got testy like when he got ejected or even before LeBron did what he did as far as you know making him look a little bit look a little bit silly but that's so that was kind of the energy surrounding that game and then of course he's still shooting awfully from three at that point all that stuff and so then in game four on Sunday when you know LeBron got down, downhill when he put the spin on Cam Johnson when he got the the other dunk with the crazy photo of him like basically flying in midair like definitely the crowd was into it at that point and I think that was part of when this the Lakers built their 11 point lead in the second quarter before the Suns kind of chipped away before taking over in the third and, and yeah the juice was there but and again I'm not saying this as you know someone who's from Phoenix or someone who works for the Suns right now or whatever but the energy it's like it's not even comparable it is just it is not the Phoenix Suns arena has been so much louder, so much crazier. It you can tell that there's a lot of pent up energy of of you know the pandemic, of the playoff drought, of all of that sort of you know filtering in. Like if you were you were at game one, right? You were you were there. Both, both. Of okay, them. yeah. So for game one during pregame, before Chris Paul's injury, when he like got up for that dunk during pregame warmups, mm-hmm. and like the team was going crazy and the crowd was going crazy, like that moment was louder than anything that I heard in LA. So that, we'll that talk about amazing. loud when Chris Paul came back. Oh, yes. and, and, so and right now is my dog barks. Oh, but yeah. yeah. No, I, I, so like that, so a pregame moment was louder than anything that I heard in game in LA. And granted, there's fewer people there. Um, I don't know how expensive tickets are, if it's more kind of the wealthier clientele of LA Hollywood folks that are at these games. Like, I don't know what the demographics are, but um, yeah, like the crowd was excited and the crowd was jacked when LeBron does crazy LeBron things. And, you know, that kind of even gets me out of my chair a little bit when he, you know, go, goes, goes for those types of dunks and moves and, and does yeah. stuff that nobody else can do. Like just as a sports fan, you're like, wow, I'm witnessing some pretty cool stuff here. But yeah, it's just it, the environment was not the same. And so I'm I'm curious to see how game five is uh what the split is between Suns fans and Lakers fans and then certainly if it comes back for a game seven for whatever reason um I think it's gonna be awesome to put it lightly so uh yeah that's it's been interesting to kind of experience both environments because I do think they've been quite a bit different yeah to that end um, you know, whether it is sort of the, the the vibe, the the temperament in the arena or on the court, because, again, like I, I don't think you can underestimate the idea of a, of a team beating back against a big LeBron push like that. You mentioned that dunk when when Caruso gave it to him off the backboard. I was like, all right, wrap this thing up. We're good. We're done. <laughs> like, it's not it's not going to happen. You've just seen it so many times. It's almost hard to think anything else. But you know, for the Suns to sort of stand up for themselves in that way, especially after 
game three, like, you know, they, they did look like a team that was less experienced and was less uh, comfortable, right. Especially without their, their leader and, and sort of steadying force on the floor with them. And so to do it after what they, what happened in that second half of game three is, is just really incredible. What do you make of, I mean, we, we, we've been saying resilient about this team all season. We know that they've been very good after losses. That Thunder loss really led the way to what they would end up doing the rest of the season. We've seen them, you know, they answered after losing to Boston in pretty disappointing fashion on the road trip in April. They come back and, and beat the Knicks and, and everything else. So I'm curious just, and the Nets actually, more importantly. And so, we, we, but it's a different thing in the regular season, right? Or, and, and, you know, than it is in the postseason. And, and so what did you make of just seeing that reaction? Did you expect it? What do you think was important to getting us there? Because a lot of teams I really do feel like would have just rolled over in that moment and they did not. Yeah, well, I'll go back to even immediately after game three, the, the word that was already coming out of people's mouths, which means it was already talked about in the locker room and, and was already the message from Monty Williams and the staff was, was poise and just having poise. And that came up after game three, it came up in the two practice availabilities that we had following that. And it came up again after game four. And so clearly that message got through and, and yeah, you talk about the resilience of this team. Monty Williams uses the word relentless a lot to describe this team and, and not just in the way that they play hard, obviously, and play with, you know, try to play with force and, and pressure defensively and, and, you know, run the 0.5 offense and all that. But he mentioned after game four that, you know, we, we had to be relentless in our focus on the game and the actual game plan and not get distracted by all the other stuff that was happening. So I think that was, you know, like you said, you could tell that it was getting to the Suns at certain points. And I think it was sort of a culmination of, you know, you look at, yes, the ejections in, in game three and LeBron and, you know, whoever was, was talking and chirping and all that stuff. But also it was, you know, game two. Also, it was in game one when campaign got ejected. Like you're starting to see, and this is what can be so fun about the playoffs is that these teams get so sick of each other and they're just like, oh my gosh, I got to play you again. And, and mm-hmm. you bring all this stuff and all this baggage sometimes with you from game to game. And it sort of felt like the Suns were not wilting in the moment, but just that they were letting it get to them. And the Lakers were clearly like thriving on that. And so then you just sort of saw a complete, reset I feel like in game four where they could have continued to maybe not not show the experience or show I don't want to say immaturity because I think that's unfair but like just not show the the mental stamina or just the wherewithal to withstand that and to know how to withstand that which again I think that's an experience you, you can talk about it you can go through it in the regular season but until you actually experience it in the playoffs I think you you don't really know how you're going to handle it so the fact that they were able to identify it and I think fix it in game four is, is a good sign. Now they still have to keep that same composure, obviously moving towards the series. And, and if they were to win this series throughout the playoffs, but I, I think, you know, you saw a little crack there where maybe their inexperience showed or the Lakers got under their skin or the refs got under their skin or whatever you want to say, but in, in game four, it, it could have gone sideways again, potentially, especially once they got down 11. And yeah, LeBron's out here doing highlight real stuff and, and things aren't going your way. But instead, they kind of just put their head down and they slowly chip back. And then once 
Anthony Davis didn't come back. And, and once the Suns kind of got it going, they just didn't look back. And so I think that's a, a positive sign for this team moving forward. Yeah, it, it, it definitely feels that way. And you're, you're, it's apt to point out that it wasn't just in that game four, but that we have seen those moments throughout the series when they could have crumbled. I thought in the, in game one, it was about six minutes left in, in the second quarter. Booker has the block on Horton Tucker and then the dunk. And that to me felt like, uh, like, yes, Chris is out, but like literally stop even thinking about it. Like we have a game to win, you know what I mean? And so there's been a lot of those. And I think, I think game four as a whole was like the, the sort of buildup of it. And, and they'll need many, many more of them to survive what, what could be um, three more high intensity games. So let's talk about the next one of those in just a second and, and get you ready with what we might see in game five in Phoenix on Tuesday night. But first, another quick break. Always look forward to telling you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The sports world is coming fast and furious lately, and uh, you need a place like BetOnline to keep up with it. Sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info, all constantly updated at BetOnline, whether that's on the web or their mobile app. They make it easy. They make it uh, convenient for you. And I got to bet of the day for courtesy of betonline.ag and that is for the WNBA championship this season they just haven't caught up to how things are looking so I'm giving you the in right here Seattle Storm lost a role player Herbert Harrigan and their coach just retired we also have the Las Vegas Aces who are down a player and haven't looked awesome they've looked very very good but still figuring some things out they are the runaway favorites but I'm here to tell you about the Connecticut Sun plus 650 they look incredible they are also missing their defensive player of the year candidate Alyssa Thomas she uh, unfortunately had a major injury will miss the season but they've looked awesome they are well coached team they are a two-way team and I love John Quell Jones if you have not watched them uh, take my word for it or catch a game. And I'm sure you will zoom right back to bet online to make that bet. Plus 650 is awesome odds for a team that has probably been the most scary in the WNBA so far this season. So before the next tip off, head to bet online and don't sit on the sidelines anymore, guys. This is your chance to get in the game as teams prep for their championship runs. So once again, head to betonline.ag on the web or on their mobile app. Sign up today. And when you make your first deposit, Use the promo code LOCKED ON to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. Again, on your first deposit at betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKED ON to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's close out the show here with a little bit of a, a mini preview. I mean, we talked about it after game four. We're talking about a lot of things that, that might show up again in game five here. Um, and I did want to remind everybody that our road to the finals coverage throughout the NBA playoffs are brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. I'm sure that many of you will be uh, enjoying it straight from the arena on Tuesday, but wherever you are, Make note of that and enjoy it responsibly, but of course, have a great time. We've been waiting a long time for this, and I know everybody's thrilled. That will be the uh, the deal throughout the playoffs, so uh, you will be hearing more about that. But Gina, let's get ready for Game 5 with uh, – I'll, I'll give the floor to you. What what from Whether it's a holdover from what we just saw or just something that's been on your mind about this series, what are you, what are you expecting, watching for as we get ready for tip-off at 7 p.m.? 
Yeah, well, I think well, let's put aside the obvious storyline of how does Chris Paul's shoulder continue to look. Um, let, let's assume that he's on a positive trajectory and that, you know, that that kind of doesn't necessarily become the dominant storyline from a son's perspective is how is Chris Paul's shoulder doing. Um, I'm just curious to see how, you know, different different role players step up because I think, you know, Devin Booker's had a couple tough shooting games in a row. He's obviously being blitzed like crazy and being, you know, defended in a, in a very, uh, in a very elite way, considering the Lakers are the best defense in the league. And so I, I expect him to, to snap out of that or to continue to, to find ways to score. But you look at guys like Mikhail Bridges who had struggled throughout the series until Sunday's game four, you look at can campaign continue to do what he's been doing, which has been tremendous. And what an amazing story that he again was out of the league a year ago and is now doing what he's doing on a playoff team. You know, guys like Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, did he officially snap out of his slump? And and is he going to be a reliable three point shooter now for the rest of the series? Uh, I think just all of that, as far as the, the complimentary pieces around, it's like, who's going to step up in which moment, how can they attack this defense now, if Anthony Davis is not there, um, the rebounding, just several, several things, because, you know, as a series goes along, obviously there are adjustments that are made, but, and we've been following those and keeping track of those, but now we have this massive variable being tossed in there. If, if yeah. Anthony Davis can't play in game five. So not that it's like a total reset, I think there's still stuff to glean and things that we can project or learn from the previous games, but a lot of it's going to be up in the air now, depending on uh, Anthony Davis's status or if he, you know, doesn't go just what, what things look like from a Lakers perspective, whether they throw Marcus all out there, whether they throw Montrezl Harrell out there, in addition to Drummond, like just where they decide to go from that vantage point. Yeah. It makes it hard to analyze some of what we might see because we don't know who will play. It's, it's very clear to me based on what we saw in that second half when Davis is not on the floor that the Lakers don't seem to know what their five is. If AD is not part of it, right? Like we saw Gasol obviously a lot in both of games three and four, he seems to be a part of this permanently. Now I I would say whether AD comes back or not, Gasol is helping them at the rim defensively spacing the floor offensively, his ball movement, all the stuff we know him to be. But besides that, you know, we saw Markeith Morris in game two and then again, and then again, in game four in the second half, we've seen Harrell very sparingly after he was the Suns can go. The, the Suns like when Harrell's out there because they they put Crowder on him. And so then it's like, you know, you can switch the pick and roll. Harrell's downhill stuff's not as scary. And Harrell is like kind of have has to be hidden in the corner on guys defensively. At least that's what the Lakers prefer. So he's not great against a small team like this. And so, yeah, it's like, where do you go? And, and what does that look like? We'll obviously be having to watch who even starts in, in this game. And then very quickly, what Frank Vogel's rotation might look like. A couple of other things you noted. One is, is Booker. And it's so odd because I felt like he was better in game four than he was in game three, although the statistics don't really show it. I just thought that first quarter, he got nine points on, I think, three of five shooting, drew a foul apiece on Wes Matthews and Alex Caruso. That felt really big for me, just seeing him that, you know, kind of set the the tone. And I think most of the series, the team that's won the first quarter has really established their control over the game and then gone on to win it. And and so if he can at least just sort of score and then obviously the big pull up over Caruso right in the fourth quarter, it's like if he can just do it in the moments when he's needed, the Suns have shown that they can survive games where he doesn't score 30 and they, they you know, game four obviously being the biggest one there. And so I, I guess 
a a big performance with him would would change sort of the makeup of of what the the series has looked like for the most part lately. But I also think that he doesn't need to be great for them to win. And a lot of that is because of the shooting, which again, you look at game four and it's like statistically didn't look excellent by any means. I think they shot around 30% from deep, but it felt like the looks were better. It felt like the make the makes were a little more timely. Um, the offense just seemed to to kind of flow a little bit better, even though they only scored 100 points. What did you see there? Do you do, do you agree or am I just like reading into the win and, and kind of projecting that onto it? No, no, I totally agree that I thought the three pointers were way more timely. You know, Mikhail Bridges had a couple that were big. And then, of course, Crowder's in the corner was was arguably the biggest shot of the game to sort of put put it away. So just it's not even necessarily like the the team percentage. I feel like just guys kind of getting more involved or snapping out of shooting slumps or, or what have you, I think, is just big moving forward. And what what will be interesting with Booker to me is uh, on I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday, but one of the practice availabilities after game three, Monty Williams talked about Booker you know, basically that he has the green light to take the first good shot available to him, even if it's early in the shot clock, even if it's, you know, not necessarily moving in, in the point offense style, just because of the way that the Lakers are defending him. And again, maybe it'll look a little bit different if Anthony Davis is not out there, uh, you know, covering his own ground and whatnot, but it, it it's, I'll be curious to see if that still holds, because I do think that played a role in him shooting so well and being aggressive in that, in that first quarter is kind of that mindset. But if other guys have it going or other guys are, are making their shots, then that's not maybe necessarily as as necessary. But that, that'll be interesting because, you know, of course you want Devin Booker to be aggressive. You want your leading scorer to, to feel, you know, empowered to, to do what he needs to do on the floor. But you could kind of tell the adjustment from game three to game four was, okay, they're blitzing you. They're in some cases like triple and quadruple covering you or like, sagging off of guys along the three-point arc because they know you're the most dangerous guy on the floor so if you have an opening or you have some some you know daylight to to shoot uh, trust yourself to make that shot or if you have a lane to the basket just go so uh, yeah in regards to Booker it'll be interesting to see how that continues to sort of develop over the course of the series because obviously games one and two he was fantastic games three and four he didn't shoot the ball well does it swing back the other direction or are the Suns able to make their adjustment? Or again, is it other guys that are going to have to sort of fill some of the gaps where, you know, you're going to get maybe 20 points from Booker or 20 to 25 points, but you can't count on 35. So you need some of those other complementary players to sort of fill those gaps, which if, you know, Jay Crowder can shoot the ball well, if Mikhail Bridges can shoot the ball better, then, then I think that's a, a good sign for the Suns. Yeah, I, I think all of that's true. And you talked about campaign, I think, in the last segment. To me, like we've seen consistency from him, aggressiveness, but he hasn't been the most efficient player. What if, you know, his 12 to 15 becomes 20? Like you, there are paths to, right, like this team um, score. Having a big offensive night, I don't think is out of the question, even though we know the Lakers defense is vaunted and and has proven itself to uh, to be, you know, up to the hype in this series. Basically, some somewhere around 100 points, 90 points has been the the result in every single game. And that's by no accident. These are two good defensive teams. But I think it feels like the Suns are figuring some things out offensively. And, and all the all the things we just talked about might might end up with, you know, maybe a 110, 115 point game. If if the if the Davis factor especially removes a barrier at the rim, that is obviously pretty imposing. My assumption is 
that Marquise Morris would probably be the player to start, mostly because I think that Frank Vogel's preference is to have size on the floor. I mean, whether you're looking at Indiana and, and all those years ago, the, what he did there, but also just with this team, like they don't really ever start the Davis at the five thing. You know, they like to have size on the floor. They started Wes Matthews instead of Alex Caruso or Ben McLemore. Cause I think again, Matthews gives them that size and that veteran know-how both things that Marquise brings. Although I do think that Kuzma could be an option. So I, you know, they, they, I think they like him against Booker too. They've played a lot of guys against Booker, which is sort of surprising. They haven't just said, you know, this is your matchup. And then offensively, I think Ben McLemore to me, he played 16 minutes quietly. I didn't feel like I remember him being out there for 16 minutes in the, in the game four, but I think just if you're needing to scrape by with some offense, I feel like we just talked about, I just was saying Frank Vogel's preference is to have size. I think LeBron's preference is to have as much shooting as possible. So if you're just going to give LeBron the ball in this game, which is probably going to be what you have to do offensively, uh, you want to have as many shooters out there. And the reality is the Lakers just don't have a lot of guys you trust. Ben McLemore can at least do that. We've seen him do it with Houston the past couple of seasons. If he just stands there, makes threes like that's a pretty that's a role he can survive in it's just obviously the domino effect then of you know where does he go on defense and that's what's so fascinating about the playoffs anything else we should have our eye on Gina before we wrap up here and, and get the folks uh, on to their day as we await tip-off well I think just it, it w- we would be remiss if we didn't mention DeAndre Ayton and first of all how he's performed in these first four games if you would have told me he would be the most consistent Suns player of this whole series so far uh I would have maybe not believed you just because first of all, he's one of those players who's in in this environment for the first time, but also we sort of know how DeAndre's uh, career has gone so far and that he shows flashes, but not the consistency, which makes him kind of polarizing or maddening for some Suns fans who want to see that every single night. But the, the way he's played on both ends of the floor has been terrific. And the way I'll be, again, I'll be curious to see what, no Anthony Davis means for him as far as not having that guy clogging the paint or helping in the paint or, or what have you. So um, they could be potentially another opportunity for him to, to really, you know, show what he's been showing during these playoffs and to been a double, double machine. He's gotten some key offensive rebounds and he's shown more authority at the rim as far as his finishing than we've seen perhaps in his whole career. So yeah, I think we need to kind of give him a shout or at least mention him as somebody who's played great in the series so far uh, and also could be key, you know, moving forward, just given given the the status of the Lakers and, and their kind of inside presence and what they'll be throwing out there this time. Yeah, no, it's a great call. I mean, it's like in my head, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what could we what could be different in game five? And it's a huge testament to Aiton that he didn't even cross my mind. It's just an right. expectation, right? It's like he That's a big step for him. It, it's huge. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Like it, it was maybe one of the biggest questions heading in yes. and, and somehow he's answered it so resoundingly that I'm almost, uh, you know, scooting over it when I'm thinking about things. And obviously the one factor with him that we haven't seen affect a game yet is foul trouble, which again, that's a skill you defending without fouling and, and keeping your body and, and kind of focus in check to not pile up those fouls is, is, is a credit to him, but it also is, it can be random. Right. And we haven't seen a game where Aiton has struggled with that. And we haven't seen Monty have to dig into his deep bench uh, for those minutes yet. So that could be a a wrinkle, obviously one, the Suns definitely want to avoid, but it's always worth mentioning because 
just about everybody else has has dealt with foul trouble from time to time in this game, whether it's foul trouble 